April 24th, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 34. Then at the proper time, Jesus and the twelve apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have looked forward to this hour with deep longing, anxious to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat it again until it comes to fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine, and when he had given thanks for it, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had thanked God for it, he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper he took another cup of wine and said, This wine is the token of God's new covenant to save you, an agreement sealed with the blood I will pour out for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For I, the Son of Man, must die, since it is part of God's plan. But how terrible it will be for my betrayer! Then the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. And they began to argue among themselves as to who would be the greatest in the coming kingdom. Jesus told them, In this world the kings and great men order their people around, and yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, those who are the greatest should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Normally the master sits at the table and is served by his servants, but not here, for I am your servant. You have remained true to me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in that kingdom, and you will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to have all of you, to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen and build up your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. The rooster will not crow tomorrow morning until you have denied three times that you even know me. Have you ever considered what your life would look like if you weren't a Christian? Would you spend your time and your money and your energy in the same way? Would you have a different purpose or a different direction? Would your life look any different? My question is essentially this. Does your faith in Jesus affect the way you live? Can it be tangibly seen in your life? In the first century, the church of Corinth was struggling with the idea of bodily resurrections. And they were saying, when you die, and when Christ returns, he's going to raise up your soul, but bodies are just going to die and rot in the ground. They're done with. And the Apostle Paul catches wind of this, and he sees it as a serious issue. And so in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul responds. And he says to the Corinthians, consider the logic of your statement. You're saying there's no such thing as a bodily resurrection, but if there's no resurrection, then even Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then all this Christianity, this church stuff, is all just futile. 
And Paul goes on to say in verse 19 that if in Christ we have hope in this life only, in other words, if Christ hasn't been raised, then we, Christians, of all people ought to be pitied. The assumption of Paul's statement is this, that, that the lives of the Corinthians and of Paul were being affected by their faith, so much so that if Christ hasn't risen, then they were just wasting their lives. They should have just been living for themselves and seeking every pleasure they could get their hands on. Nobody embodies this assumption more than the Apostle Paul. This guy's life is radical, and it, it's just affected by Christ in every way. Before becoming a Christian, Paul's doing well. He's important. He's Ivy League trained. He's got double citizenship. He's a member of this elite group called the Sanhedrin. He's important and he has power. But after he meets Christ, Paul gives up those accolades and that power. And he stops using it to abuse Christians and he becomes a servant of Jesus Christ. And he starts going from city to city just proclaiming the gospel and starting churches and pastoring churches. And for this, he's getting beaten and stoned and imprisoned, but he doesn't stop because he has a new hope and a new mission, a new purpose. His eyes are set on a future that goes beyond this life because Christ has risen. And so Paul doesn't stop when he gets abused, when he suffers. They beat him and they throw him in prison, but he converts the guard. And they beat him and throw him out of the city, but he gets up and goes back in and proclaims the gospel. Every part of Paul's life is affected by his faith in Jesus, by the fact that Christ has risen. And so absolutely, if Christ hasn't risen, then Paul, of all people, ought to be pitied. I mean, if Christianity is a hoax, this guy wasted his life. He suffered for nothing. He spent all that time and energy for nothing. He should have, again, just been seeking his own pleasure, grabbing onto every satisfaction, gratification he could get his hands on. The trick, though, the catch is this, that Christ has risen, that he was crucified, that on the third day that tomb was found empty, that he rose and appeared to more than 500 men and women, and so Paul ought not to be pitied but imitated. The Apostle Paul sets for us an example of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Our relationship with God is supposed to affect the way we live. When Jesus comes in, when he moves into our heart, he transforms us, transforms our purposes and our desires and sets our eyes on him instead of ourselves to the point that we're spending our money and our energy and our resources differently. We're spending it for the kingdom of God. And really, where there's no evidence of this transformation, you might be fooling yourself into thinking you're a disciple of Jesus when you're not. When you're really a part of that group who in Matthew 7, Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. So maybe we, may we be challenged by Paul's statement here. Challenged to reflect on our lives and, and consider how our faith is affecting how we live. Is there any fruit, any evidence of transformation? Are we living differently because of this hope we have in Jesus? May we give every piece of our lives to the cause of Christ. And may we be able to say with Paul that if Christ is not risen, we have wasted our lives. Christ has risen, so don't waste your life by not spending it for Jesus.